Amen. God is so good. Amen. I love coming to worship, being with the church, and this morning is no different. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Uh, This morning, we are continuing our series we began last week, as I alluded to a few moments ago, The Church Is. And before we dive into that, I do want to say, I I meant to mention this before during announcements, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, uh, thank you so much for being here today. Your time is valuable, and we believe God has something for you today, and and we've been praying for this morning, praying for you as you came in here today, as we pray for all of those that gather together that we receive from the word what the Lord has for us. And so, but if you're visiting this morning for the very first time, there's some cards in the seatbacks in front of you. If you feel comfortable doing so, you can fill that out and drop that by the Welcome Center before you leave today, our next steps area. We'd love to give you a small gift. Our way of saying thank you for being here today and then also some information about our ministry here. And as we're continuing this series uh, through The Church Is, um, I alluded to this last week, that, that statement can end a lot of different ways depending on your background. For some here, you hear the church is, and you would put a very positive ending on that. The church is loving. The church is kind. The church is generous. Uh, the church is godly. The church is founded on scripture. You'd have a very positive ending on that. For some, though, maybe your background not being as positive or not being as positive around church, at least, you would end that a little bit differently. Maybe you've had a bad experience in church or you were around followers of Christ that didn't really exhibit that Christ-like behavior and character and that made an impression on you. And so for you, you would end it with something more negative. The church is greedy. The church is hypocritical. Uh, The church is judgmental, those kind of things. And in our culture, I think... Some of it our own fault, but some of it also just a perception that's put on the church um, is, is our culture sees the church that way sometimes. And, and it's true. Uh, the church, we have hypocrites in the church uh, because hypocr- hypocrisy is something that all of humanity battles with. Um, there are tons of believers that desire to live godly, desire to honor Christ, desire to please him, want to follow Christ. And yet in their human nature, something tempts them and, and they give in to sin. And so are Christians perfect? No. But the message of Christianity is not be perfect. The message of Christianity is Christ was perfect in your place. Follow Christ. Trust Christ. That salvation will grant unto you eternal life. Be faithful. We don't call be perfect. We are called to be faithful. And so this morning as we continue to desire to grow in our understanding of what the church's calling is in the world, and these are our two main points, right? This is the whole reason we're doing this series. What is the church's calling in this world? What are we called to be and to do in the world? And then secondly, as we gather as the body of Christ, what is our calling as we gather? What are we as the body of Christ, as the church, uh, to reflect, to, to emulate from Scripture? What are we called to be as the church, not only in the world, but also as we gather? Last week, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it on our, our app, on the website, wherever it's convenient for you, we answered that first question, the church is for Jesus. And we finished that with not for ourselves and not for entertainment, right? The church is for Jesus, not for us and not for entertainment. Now, does that mean we receive nothing from the church? No, of course we do, right? We're blessed when we're a part of the body of Christ, when we're a part of the church. You've been blessed by followers of Christ who, through the church, were a blessing to you either in prayer or financially or just serving you or ministering you some way. You've been blessed by being a part of a community like this where you can go to someone and just share a need and they pray for you. 
Uh, a lot of the ladies were blessed yesterday, gathering together with other ladies as followers of Christ to hear the word shared and to sing worship and to fellowship together and encourage each other. There's a lot in the church that we are blessed by. But primarily, at its core, according to scripture, the New Testament church is not primarily for us. The New Testament church is for Christ. This is his church. He is the head. And we said this last week, being the head of the church does not just mean leader or ruler or authority over the church. He is those things. But head of the church, according to the word of God, that actually means that word head there means origin or source of. So he is the very source of the church. Why? Because he died for the church. He gave his life for us that we might come to know him. And so, yes, we are blessed by God to be a part of a church. We are blessed to, to fellowship together and to encourage. And we're going to talk about in a little bit here all the things that we can be a part of together as a body of Christ. But at its core, fi- fund- fundamentally, primarily, the church is for Jesus, not for us. And it's very much not for entertainment. And I, I call our culture, we alluded to this, our culture over the last 20 years or so has has created the performance-centered, culture-driven, consumer-centered church, where it's not really about leading people to Christ, seeing them be baptized, discipling them, and then encouraging them to go do the same. It's about, what do I got to do just to get you to come back next week and put a little more money in the plate? And now, understand me, I, I want you to be here next week, Okay. Don't get me wrong. I said it before. I'll say it again. I'm surprised that you keep showing up. Okay. I really am. Every morning I'm like, hey, they're back. Praise God. Like, that's amazing. Because the other day I was listening to one of the the services and and I try to do that every now and then just to kind of hear my own preaching back because it just helps me to kind of understand where I can grow as as a speaker. Believe it or not, I tried that. Um, some of you are like, watch more sermons. Um, but hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. You're just getting me back for a while. I got you. You're just getting me back. He's had that in the holster for a while. Um, But when you think, when I was doing this, Sandra was saying, she's like, I don't know how you do that. I was like, what? She's like, I hate the way I sound. Like she cannot listen to herself on a recording. And I'm like, oh no, believe me, I despise this. This is horrible. And I said it to them, I don't know why people willingly listen to this. This would drive me crazy. But saying that, I, I want you to be here. But our job, our calling as a church is not to get you to come back next week because I can't do that. Our programs can't do that. The Holy Spirit is the only one that draws us to want to fellowship and worship with the body of Christ. And if you are here or you were invited to come here and you came for some other reason, we're glad you're here But our prayer is that you will come to know the Savior of this word. And by knowing him, the desire to worship him will flow not out of what happens on this stage and how much it appeases you or or appeals to you or a program. But you just desire so much to be with Jesus and his people that that you're okay with whatever. I'm not talking unbiblical things, but, but you don't come for a show. You don't come because that musician did a great job or that band is really, man, they're awesome. Like, and we're blessed with musicians that love the Lord. Amen. Uh, That song that Danielle sang, that was awesome. What a praise. I was, I was sitting there just like praising God over here. Like, I'm not familiar with that song. I love that. That was awesome. 
And we're blessed with talented musicians who love the Lord and want to serve. And that's great. But I don't come here to worship because of them. Man, I worship with them because of Jesus. And so there's a huge difference there. And so we talked about that last week. Go back and unpack that. And as God normally does, he has orchestrated this morning together perfectly. And I love that he does this because this morning, and we couldn't have sing better worship this morning. This morning, we're talking about the church is family. The church is family. You see, the church is for Jesus, but also the church is family. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, you can just turn to page 824. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 824. Ephesians chapter 2. And we are going to start in verse, really just one verse to start our our talk this morning, our sermon this morning. Ephesians 2.19. Simple verse, but I believe a powerful verse. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now Ephesians is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, the local church in an area known as Ephesus. And so he's writing to a local body of believers just like this. And he's trying to encourage them in their walk with Christ. And as he's writing to them, and very uh, foundational to this church is the Apostle Paul. But look at what we read here in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, so he's talked about all the wonderful gifts of salvation, all the wonders of being saved by grace, through faith, not of works. We can't boast in what we've done. We only boast in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's unveiled all of that wonderful truth. We know we are saved by grace. We know we are saved purely because of what Christ did us for on the cross. We wonderfully accept that. And then he gets to verse 19. It says this, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's a simple little verse. Let's, I'm going to read it again. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Saints, anyone in Christ. I know we have some that, that saint certain people and certain people don't get sainted. And I understand that and where that comes from. But the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a saint. Now, I know what you're thinking, but preacher, I don't feel like a saint some days. I don't live like a saint some days. Your struggle with a certain sin in Christ does not replace your position in Christ. You are a saint, not because of your performance, but because of who Christ declares you to be. You've been set apart, set aside as a holy vessel used for God's glory. Does that mean we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Romans 6. We surrender that sin. We repent of that sin. We turn from that sin. But that struggle with that sin that makes you feel not like a saint does not remove who you are in Christ. You are a saint, a child of God. We're going to unpack that in just a moment as well. It goes on to say this in saints and the household of God. Let's pray. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a place that we could gather to worship you. We thank you for these that are here today and just their desire to to fellowship together and to come and to worship you. And Father, every one of them is so valuable to you. 
Every one of them has intrinsic value and worth because they were created in the image of God. Lord, it doesn't matter what they've done, where they're coming from. You love them. You care for them. You have a purpose and a plan for them. And that starts with them accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, maybe they've gone to church, they've been religious, they do good things, they're a good person, quote-unquote, but, Lord, they don't know you. And the Bible says that, not my words, but the Bible says they're lost in their sin and in need of a Savior. But you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins, to be buried and rise again in anyone who believes and trusts in the name of Christ, who turns from their sin and believes that Christ died on the cross for them, and and accepts him as our Lord and Savior, coming under his leadership and his authority, that you would save them. So I pray that you would do that this morning. Father, for those of us that know Christ, I pray that you would affirm these words in our hearts and minds, that we would grow in our understanding of what this verse unveils, and that we would see each other in a different way, in a Christ-like way, and in a way that would lead us to want to bless one another, be an encouragement, and support one another in Christ. Father, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that now we, you and I, in Christ, are a part of the household of God. Now, that word is used in two other passages in the New Testament. That word household is used two other times. One in Galatians 6, verse 10, which we're going to get to in just a little bit or refer to in a little bit. That's referring to the church as it is here in Ephesians 2. The other is 1 Timothy 5, and that's referring to our actual families, our physical blood relatives, our homes, our families. And the same word is used. So in 1 Timothy 5, when it talks about your household, your family, your immediate family that live in your house, and the Galatians 6.10, Ephesians 2.19, household of God, same word is used. So that gives us a very clear impression of what the church is supposed to be. The church is a family. The church is a family. Literally, this word means related by blood or kindred. So there's that intimate, physical family we talk about. Also, it means belonging and devoted to. So we know that when we talk about that that kindred, our, our blood relatives, we're referring to our immediate family, those in our home, those kind of things. And that's awesome. And that's a blessing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But specifically, Paul saying here, both here and in Galatians, that God has placed you in a family that is the church and you belong one to another. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why if you've ever heard someone say, maybe you've never known, why do they say, hey, brother so-and-so, hey, sister so-and-so, right? I remember when I was younger, my mom grew up in a, in a background where sister so-and-so had a whole different meaning. And I remember I was at a church here, this church, and someone said, hey, sister so-and-so. And I looked at my buddy who invited me. I said, she doesn't look like a nun. Like, what are we doing? Like, she's not wearing the thing. Like, what's, she called her sister though. And he kind of scratched his head. He's like, what are you talking about? And so we had a very long conversation about the differences there. But that's why, if you've ever realized that, that's why that phrase is used. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be honest, what a powerful picture of the church. What a wonderful picture of the church. That we were all once strangers to one another. Scattered abroad. We saw each other as the world saw us and sees us still. 
labels of political ideology, job titles. Certain sports fans go blue, right? Like you, we won't go the other route, but there's that thumbs down from the back row that I always expect. Right? You're, you're, you're that fan. I'm this fan. You're that political party. I'm this political party. You're that background. I'm this party or background. You're that race. I'm this race. You're that. I'm this. And constantly divided in culture. We're just strangers and foreigners. We're just kind of cut off from one another in a distant way. That's how the world sees us. That's how culture wants to see us. And yet in the church... We're seen as brothers and sisters in Christ, apart from all of that. How is it that I can love a Buckeye fan? (laughs) Fans? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a greater commonality than just something surface like that. That's how we can see each other as, as different and yet brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have different personalities, different views, different opinions on things and still be united, not in those things, but in Christ. We are united in Christ as one another. We're connected, brothers and sisters. So I want to dive into this idea to help us see how the church, which is all about Jesus again, the source and origin of the church as its head, can flourish as a family of God, as a family of God. We have been offered adoption. That in Christ, we've been offered adoption. If you're following along in the notes, you can go on our app. You can go on media, sermon notes. You'll find today's outline there. If you'd like to follow along in the notes, you can. Or if you're taking notes by pen and paper, we appreciate that. If you want a copy of my notes, just reach out to me. I'd be more than willing to share that with you. But we have been offered adoption into the family of God. You see, through Christ... This is made possible. Go to Galatians chapter 4. You're in Ephesians. Go to your uh, left one book. So Galatians is the book that is right before Ephesians. So Galatians chapter 4 and look at verse 5. So Ephesians 2.19 says we are in the household of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. How is this possible? Well, Galatians 4, 5 and 6 tells us how this is made possible. And this is amazing. We just sang the song about Jesus giving our orphan heart a name. Like we were orphans. We had no home. We were scattered, a sheep with no shepherd. And then we were adopted and made one with Christ, brought into the family of God. Galatians 4, verses 5 and 6 Again, speaking to the power of salvation, he says, to redeem that were un- them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. Receiving those that were under the law. We were under the guilt and the weight of the law. We've all broken God's law. There is none righteous, no, not one. You might say, well, I've never committed murder. I've never done these really, really bad things. Jesus said the heart of the law is much greater than the letter of the law. The letter of the law says, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, if you look after a man or a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. The law says, thou shall not murder. Jesus says, if you have hatred in your heart to someone, you've murdered them. You see how very quickly we might sit in judgment over others or think we're pretty good or we've done pretty good or we're pretty moral. But then we realize, wait, if I really start going down the list... 
The, the law says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, I've never done that. Well, if you've ever said the name Jesus Christ and not given its full weight of glory and reverence and holiness, and you just said it flippantly, the Bible says you violated that law. That's blasphemy. You should have no other gods before me. If you've ever pursued something greater than your pursuit of God, you've had an idol in your life. That's self, that's career, that's children, that's spouse, that's anything that you pursue with greater intent, greater drive, greater passion. If you're consumed by something greater than you are by God, that's an idol and you've broken the law. Do you know the Bible says that if we offend in one area, we've offended in all? So if you've ever broken one law, you've broken all of them because guilt is guilt, period. Sin is sin. That's what the Bible is saying. When Paul says you were under the law, you were under the wrath and judgment of the law, guilty with no way of making an amends. You cannot pay the fine. The only sentence that would be given to you is an eternity separated from Christ in a place called hell. That's the payment. That's the penalty. That's the fine. And then the verse continues. But when the, or what to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. What did Jesus do? He took the payment for us and he offered us a way to know the Father, to be with the Father for all eternity. Verse 6 And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7 Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see, you've been offered adoption. You've been offered an opportunity to receive Christ and be ushered into the family of God. When Christ offers us the forgiveness of sins through his gospel, he is redeeming us from the power, penalty, and presence of sin, adopting us into his family. The truth is, Jesus has a place in his family for you, exactly as you are right now. You don't got to clean yourself up. You don't got to get it right. You just need to come to Christ, and he will take care of all of that. If you will confess your sins, repent, and turn to Christ as Savior, receiving his grace, he will take you as his son and daughter. Now, I know that's hard to believe. Because I know I struggled with this for a long time, even after I was a Christian. God, do you really love me that much? Can your grace really do that much? And I realized one day, my standard of perfection, my standard of holiness, I was projecting out as greater than God's. God, can you really forgive me that much? Yes, he can. Is his grace really that mighty? Yes, it is. Because where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Yes, there was sin, but greater than sin is his grace. Is it a license to sin? Is it, it's not a big deal, just do whatever? Absolutely not. And those that have been truly redeemed and converted by the blood of Christ, they understand the difference between struggling with sin and living in sin with no repentance, no conviction. There's a huge difference. You see, again, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true according to God's word. Not my word, not your feelings, not our emotions. It's true according to God's word. He will adopt you. And here's the beautiful part. It's not based on you. And what do I mean by that? When he, if you can imagine this, Jesus walking through an orphanage, Jesus walking through a room with beds lining both sides of the walls and there's children all over the place standing or playing or sitting or doing different things. There are children who are all cleaned up. Their area is neat. 
This would probably be my bed, nice and neat and made and all of that. Everything's perfect. They're clean, sitting, reading from the encyclopedia, just, just you know, really studying and in-depth growing. Hair's perfect, very polite, very kind children. And then there's that kid off in the corner with the dirty bed, the mess, unkept, hair undone, just looks a mess. And you know, if we use this illustration and think of it this way, that's us and our sin. We're just a mess. And Jesus doesn't go, mm, clean yourself up first and I'll be back tomorrow and see how you do. No, he gets down with us and he gets some of that dirt on him. And that's really what Christ did. He took the dirt of our sin, the shame of our sin, and he wore it publicly so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, washed in the word of God. You see, he picks up that kid that nobody else paid attention to. Everybody else walked right by. Nobody even gave a second look. Jesus got down with him, picked him up and said, you're my son, you're my daughter, and ushered him home and brought him before a table full of a feast. He said, take eat. This is the goodness of the Lord. Here, enjoy. I'm with you and I'll always be with you. You see, this is what is offered to us in the adoption that Christ provides. However, as powerful as that is to think about and where we were and what Christ has done, adoption costs something. So what did our adoption cost Jesus Christ? Paul says that Jesus came to redeem us. To redeem us. So what does that word redeem literally mean? Well, the word redeem means to purchase from the marketplace. To purchase us. You see, it cost Jesus his life on the cross. It cost Jesus the public ridicule and mockery and abuse at the hand of his own creation. You see, it cost Jesus something. It cost abuse, ridicule. His own creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. Jesus was there in the beginning when God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Jesus was there. And that very same creation is crucifying him, nailing him to a cross. You see, Jesus gave all that was needed. Jesus provided everything we could possibly need so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. The key here is that Jesus was willing to do all of this. Voluntarily did all of this. Pastor Greg talked about this before with the power of the cross and the unmatched love of Christ. Again, if you missed that message, Palm Sunday, I believe, was that message. Go back and check it out. Just a great take on that whole idea of the cross and the love of Christ and the power of the cross. He did it willingly. I love what Pastor Greg said in that message that at many points in that process, we would have tapped out. We would have quit. We would have walked away. We would have said, okay, I can go this far, but I can't go any farther. Jesus said, no, I'm going all the way to the tomb. I'm going all the way to the grave because that is what the Father has willed and that is what I will do because that is what's needed. You see, God in his grace was glorified. Jesus submitted to that and we are blessed because we experience the adoption as sons and daughters. We know him and we're known by him. 
We know Christ and we're known by Christ, intimately and personal. And if you ever forget how valuable you really are, and you start listening to this world tell you that your value is found in what you look like, how much money you have, your degree, your car, your relationship, any of it. Just stop because all those things can be taken away. All those things can be removed. And if your identity is wrapped up in one of those things, then when those things are taken away, you wonder, who am I? I'll tell you who we are. If you know Christ, you're his son and you're his daughter and you have great value and great worth apart from anything else you ever do. So stop looking for value and worth in other things, including yourself. Look to the cross, see your value, and then from that, see how everything else that God blesses you with is a blessing. Do we see our children as a blessing that we can enjoy them and take great, great comfort in them, of course, and our spouse and our careers, of course. It's a blessing to work. A lot of people forgot that nowadays because I see a lot of help wanted signs and not a lot of people working. But it is a blessing to work. It's a great blessing to work. So we, we enjoy that. But my identity is not wrapped up as Pastor John. As great as it is and as amazing as it is and still shocking to me that it's actually true, my identity is not wrapped up in the husband of Sandra. Like that doesn't, like that's not my identity. It shocks me every day. I wake up and I, like you guys, I'm like, she's still here. That's crazy. <laughs> Amen. Thought she would have left a long time ago. No. Now, whether she's thought about it or not, I don't know. But she probably rolls over and goes, he's still here. <sighs> we don't get our identity from these things. We get our identity from the cross. From what Jesus did for you. Listen, you were not sort of bad needing a little bit of help. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were separated from God. You were an enemy of God, the Bible says. And Jesus, of his own willing, voluntarily came and sought after you to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want to do something right now. I know it's a little bit different, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. And literally, everyone, no one looking around, please. And we are going to do an invitation here in a little bit. So you're like, wow, we're already done. We're at invitation. No, this is a little bit different. I want you to bow your heads right where you are. And I want you to think about this. Honestly, I wanted to give time. In my notes even, I, was, I wanted to give time for this because I don't want to wait. If you don't know Christ, if you've not received the adoption into his family, then I want you right there where you are to honestly pursue God right now in your mind and say, Lord, why? Why will I not accept this gift of salvation? What is keeping me from believing? What is keeping me from, from wanting to accept the salvation you offer? And just give that to him. If it's a question, just, just give it to him. If it's a past hurt, a present hurt, whatever it is, you just don't understand, give it to him. Seek him now and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me wisdom in this and help me to know you. And here's what I want to do. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not, none of that. I'm not going to come to you later. I just want to pray for you. And no one else is looking around. I include everyone, sound booth, everyone's heads are bowed right now. I just want to ask, if you're here today and you've never experienced that adoption as a son or daughter, you don't know Christ, you've never received Christ, you've never said, Lord, I am a sinner and I need your salvation. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you, would you grant unto me eternal life? I believe you died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. I commit my life to you. If you've never done that, 
then I want to pray for you that you would see his love for you is so great. He wants you just as you are. And so with literally no one looking around, I promise you, I will not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, I have never been adopted into the family of God because I don't know Christ. I've never prayed that prayer. I've never made that decision. And would you pray for me, Pastor John, that I would consider that today, that I would open myself up, my heart up to the Lord's working in that. Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? If you're here today with heads bowed and you would say, Lord, I know that I've been adopted. I know that I'm your son and daughter. But honestly, I don't feel that way sometimes and I doubt it. I doubt that you can really love me that much, that your grace is really for me, that you really have a purpose and a plan for me, that I'm really your son and daughter. And I've allowed that doubt to creep in and lead me to drifting in my walk with you, to focusing on other things or to even doubting who you really are. And I know that's wrong, and I pray that you'd remind me of your goodness and draw me back into that repentance that I would trust in you. With no one else looking around, is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, that's me, Pastor John, would you pray for me? Because I've been there. I know I'm adopted, but I keep living as though I'm not. I see a couple hands up here. Keep them up just for a moment. Anyone else? I know I'm in the family of God, but I don't always live that way. Amen. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Would you look this way just for a moment? And God's love for you is amazing. But he doesn't love you because of you. He loves you because of who he is. That's why his love is better than any love you've ever experienced. Because as much as we want to, our love for somebody else can be taken away. We can change our minds. We can feel different things. But God never changes his mind about his love for you. He loves you enough that he sent his son for you. Because he wanted to. Because he chose to. And my encouragement to you is live as a son and daughter of God. Believe and trust in him. As we move forward, and I appreciate your patience. I know it's a little different. And we will still have a time of invitation to respond. You can come. And I would encourage you, those that raised your hand and said, you know, hey, I'm there. Maybe you'd come in, in just a few moments and bend the knee up front and say, Lord, would you affirm these things in my hearts and minds? I want my heart and mind. I want to walk in believing who you say I am. And so maybe you'd come and pray and not worry about what anyone else thinks because this, remember, this isn't for them. This is for Jesus and he's moving so you need to respond to what he is doing, not be worried about what someone else is thinking. You see, we are the family of God adopted by God through Christ. And as we know from real life experiences, Families are messy. Families are messy. You see, churches are filled with followers of Christ that battle against sin in their flesh. They strive for Christ's likeness, and yet at times they stumble into sin. Churches also have unbelievers that are religious. They're good people that try to do good things, but they do not have the Spirit of God, so therefore they cannot live in a way that honors God. These two groups are in the church. We open our doors and unbelievers and believers come in. And we're so thankful that whoever they are, wherever they're at, they're here. In both these cases, we look to the gospel. How do we handle those messy situations when somebody is not a believer and makes a sin decision that affects some other people, even in the church or, or in the community? We look to the gospel. 
If they don't know Christ, we introduce them to Jesus. We call them to repentance and restoration in Christ through the gospel. If they do know Christ and make a sin decision that affects others, it's messy, it's, it's hurtful, we call them to the gospel. Lovingly, gently, call them to repentance and restoration. This is what Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter 6. And I want to read this together. I know it's a lengthy text, but I want to read this together because I think it's crucial to understand that idea in the church. So Galatians chapter 6, you were in 4, go to 6, Galatians 6. This is also going to end with verse 10 where we find that other use of the word household that we alluded to in the introduction. Galatians chapter 6, Paul's words here again, to a local church. Brethren, and I love that term, brothers, we're, we're family. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We don't overlook sin. If we know a brother is struggling in sin, a sister is struggling in sin, and you're the one that God has laid on the heart to go to deal with that person, you don't ignore it and say, no, it's loving to ignore it. That's unloving to ignore it because that sin is going to lead to consequences that could cause destruction in their life. They may not want to hear correction, but love says they need to hear biblical correction, not because you've got it all figured out or you're perfect, but because the Word of God calls us to repentance and to walk in Christ. So we go meekly and humbly because we've all fallen short. What's the goal? To restore such a one, to lead them into restoration, that they might enjoy again the joy of the Lord and the abundant life. Verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. That verse alone is pretty powerful. If you think you're all that and you need to go correct everybody else's troubles and problems and if they just listen to you, you sound a lot less like Jesus and a lot more like Job's friends in, in the book of Job. You think you're something. There are so many Christians that fill churches that look at other Christians who stumble in sin and kick them and condemn them and tear them down and they wonder why they leave the church and continue in sin instead of coming back towards restoration. Because by the way, we've all fallen short. We've all stumbled. Does that mean it's okay? No, we deal with it. But we don't condemn. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So again, here's that balance. We go, but also there's an individual effort that needs to be emphasized here. For every man shall bear his own burden. So we carry each other's burdens, but also individually we have to walk this road of Jesus, what Jesus has for us. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary, weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We're called to do good to everyone, to be kind and servants to everyone. It doesn't matter their political ideology, their background, their viewpoints on whatever. We're just called to go and be Christ-like. Does it mean we accept all their views? Absolutely not. We live in a day and age where kindness means if I'm kind to you, you have to believe everything that you say and accept everything you say. That's nonsense. 
No, we can say that's a wrong behavior. That's not appropriate. That's not okay. But even though we disagree and we might even see very differently on this thing, if you need something, I'm there to serve you. I want to show you kindness and grace. And we can do that. But then he says, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We should go above and beyond as much as possible for each other in Christ. Again, as we said last week, we don't expect perfection. We encourage faithfulness. We don't overlook sin, but we see them in the same grace we have received. Individually, we desire and strive to sin not, knowing when we sin, there is grace. So we encourage each other, but we also strive individually in this way. Church is family. The church is family, and families can be messy, but we don't encourage people to live in sin. We call them out of that unto repentance. So I hope that makes sense. Nextly, or lastly, nextly, I don't know if that's a word. It is now because I've said it and it's online. So everything online, true. Okay. (laughs) Obviously. So church is family and families can be messy, but also families can be and are a blessing. Now, again, maybe you're here and that's a hard thing to believe that family can be a blessing because maybe your own personal experience with your family has not always been a blessing. And maybe you've experienced more messiness than the blessing. Then we understand that. We acknowledge that. We know that's human nature. But when we talk about the church, the church can be messy, but the church also is a blessing. Again, maybe you had a horrible experience with your earthly family and find it impossible to see God as a good father or church family as a blessing. I want to remind you that God is not like your earthly father, that he is perfect. And the church, while messy and unique, can and will be a blessing to you. The New Testament presents a church, a community of followers of Jesus, as a family and as a blessing. I want to read A fairly longer quote from David Platt, but I I love his take on this in a study that we've done as a church called Follow Me. He's speaking to the church here in this specific section, and I, I love the way he says this. And it's a longer quote, but bear with me. I want to read this in its entirety for you. Speaking to the family, speaking to the blessing of the church, he says this. In the same way, the New Testament envisions followers of Jesus living alongside one another for the sake of one another. The Bible portrays the church as a community of Christians who care for one another, love one another, host one another, receive one another, honor one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, motivate one another, build up one another, esteem one another, edify one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another. All of these one another's combined together paint a picture not of a people who come to a building filled with customized programs, but of people who've decided to lay down their lives to love one another. That is the church. See, that's the church. And I love that last line. It doesn't describe a group of people who come together 
to a building for customized programs that make them feel good, feel certain ways. No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. It's not nearly that surface. It's so much deeper than that. We gather together as the body of Christ to lay down our lives and love one for another and say, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And when we do that, we find ourselves being served and ministered to. So how do we as a church keep a proper mindset and attitude in regards to others in the church? This is huge. And if we get this as a church, if we continue to grow in this as a church, I believe God can, can really do some amazing things in our midst. And I, I love our church, by the way. Uh, honestly, I love this place. And I, I love the way God has blessed throughout the years of me being a part of this church, both in ministry and coming to know Christ in the youth ministry here. Just amazing to see how God has moved. And I love people's response to our church. Oh, man, that church is so friendly, so loving, so kind. I love hearing things like that. But I truly believe we can grow in this area, that we can strive to see even more of that Christ-likeness in our lives. So how do we do that when others get messy, when there's issues, disagreements, personality conflicts, our flesh is going to say, gather with those who are like you and gossip about them. Our flesh is going to say, well, I've got it figured out, and i just got to go tell them how to figure it out, and they'll be fine. No meekness, no humility, no grace. How do we strive to keep a proper mindset and attitude in regard to others in the church? How do we live as a unified family of unique and at times even sinful people? And not condoning sin, but we all struggle. How do we practically walk this out together? How do we walk out this one another attitude and this kind of love? Well, Paul gives us a great example, a great guidance, and great wisdom in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is in your notes. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord then, so he's saying of himself and by the way of us, as a bondservant of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So where do we start in our desire to see one another the right way? We start individually. Where's my heart? Where's my mind? Am I walking with the Lord? Galatians says, am I walking in the Spirit? So we start with our own mind, our own walk, our own hearts. Then he says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Does that, you don't need to raise your hand or nod or say anything, but does that describe your effort and your desire in oneness and unity in the church? I'm not talking about overlooking people's unique differences, personalities. We're all unique and praise God that we are. We don't look past those things. We acknowledge those things. We celebrate those things. But do we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Or do we intentionally do things that will divide the church? Do we look for opportunities to speak against someone, practically desiring to break the unity of peace in the Spirit? Or do we make every effort to keep the bond of peace? So when somebody bothers you or annoys you or brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so says this, doesn't do that, doesn't shake your hand, didn't say hi to you, forgot to call you back, do we freak out and get as many people on our side as possible? Or do we say, you know what, Lord? 
That's fine. It's not a big deal. Don't let me go too far with this. Do we make every effort or do we look for opportunities to actually go against that call of Paul in Ephesians 4? We are called to be a family, so let's pray for the Lord to grant us wisdom in how to see those one another's lived out for his glory, to restore relationships, to offer and receive forgiveness, and watch the Spirit move in ways that we have never before seen. I'm going to ask you again to bow your heads as we go to the Lord in a word of prayer and have a time of invitation. As you begin to pray right there where you are, again, just a affirmation of the call earlier that maybe those that raise their hands would come in just a moment and bend a knee and seek the Lord and say, Lord, remind me of who I am. Remind me of my identity in Christ that I might see myself as a son and daughter of God purchased by the blood, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, kept by grace for all eternity. I want to see myself that way. I know I have doubts and feelings and emotions, Maybe you would come and just say, Lord, remind me of the truth that when my heart condemns me, when my emotions speak against me, you are greater than my heart. And your truth of your word is truer than any feeling I have. So maybe you would come. But maybe there are those here today that are followers of Christ that they know, you know, that you're not really making every effort. I know I don't make every effort to keep the bond, the bond of unity and the, or the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so I pray, Father, that you would work in these situations, that, Lord, you would just draw people into repentance, that we would come as a family seeking to know how we can grow in these areas of loving one another, caring for one another, walking with one another. Lord, I know that families can be messy, but also family is a blessing. And so we thank you for the blessing of North Goodland and the family that we have here. May you help us to strive to keep our eyes on you, Lord, to grow in these areas, that we would be the church in this community. Lord, I know that it's frustrating being around other people at times and personalities and disagreements and all those things. I get it. But Lord, those things are not even close to the unity that we have in Christ. So may we look to the unity in Christ and overlook these other things. Again, having discussions, having conversations, but all for your glory keeping the main thing, the main thing that we would focus in on you. So, Father, again, do the work that only you can do by the drawing of your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're letting a song of invitation? However the Lord is leading, would you respond? Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, remind me of my identity. Let me know who I am and thank you for that. You would just come. You raised your hand. Now come and pray. Seek him and let him restore you in your thinking in that area. Or maybe you want to come and say, Lord, help me to be unified in seeking the bond of peace to endeavor to love one another in a way that honors you. Whatever the Lord is doing, would you respond?